All right, Valentine's Day has passed. Hey, but you know, uh, my guy Pete is here today. Simon's in. You're a married man. Austin, I know um, you had to rush to your girlfriend. Pete and I and the single crew, you know, no. It, it's, it's, we just have to go through Instagram, see everybody posting about their love and go, it's okay. I'm good. I'm good, dog. It's fine. I watched the Raptors game. Yeah, compared to block shot. <laughs> yeah. So how was the Valentine's Day for the fellas? For me personally, uh, got a couple pizza pockets yeah. from Ooh. the grocery store. I didn't think that you could be more depressing, and then you <laughs> immediately started with, like, the most depressing meal for Valentine's yeah. Day possible. Cooked yeah. them. They were still cold yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't want to go back to the microwave. I burnt my mouth, oh, yeah. but then they were cold. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, Joe. Yeah. I yeah. called a friend, and they said, sorry, man, I'm out with my girl. And then I turned the lights off and went to bed. That was your night? Yeah. My friend was, I live at Young and Eglinton, yeah. right? And so a ton of condo buildings. Yeah, and tell my people friend, where you live, eh? You know, oh, that's it all. okay. Oh, tons of buildings, you know. But uh, my friend texted me, being like, "Can you see me?" And he was in a building across the street, hanging out with a girl, and I was alone at home. And I was like, oh. Oh. staring oh, at the window in the pitch black. <laughs> it sounds so cold. I was gonna say pops. this sounds like this guy was alone eating pizza pockets, <laughs> spying, <laughs> no, <laughs> like no, doing no, a crime. No, no spy. What a Valentine's Day yeah. for you! Yeah. I, you just watch someone else's date while you <laughs> ate pizza pockets. Took a bit of a weird turn there. I'm yeah, not it did lie. take a little bit of a weird <laughs> sorry, turn. Can sorry. you see me? We communicated through the flashlight, though, like the iPhone <laughs> flashlight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was the highlight of You should have communicated with your friend with his flashlight, like, focus on your day, <laughs> yeah, nerd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that should have been the yeah. Morse code you sent him back. Austin, how was your... Okay, let's talk to the guys with the girlfriends now and the, the wives, the sick braggers. It was, uh, it was wonderful, JD. Thank you very much for asking. That sounded bad. That sounded like that. His body language, like his shoulders slumped. It was like his girlfriend hates his guts now. What did you, what did you guys do? <laughs> Well, I wasn't ready for the question. That's why uh, I, I don't know if I can say Galila's name on air, but I just said it. So, you know, what's she going to do about it now? <laughs> this is my favorite thing about Austin. <laughs> just say it. Deal with the consequences yeah, later, you know? Yeah. I don't You're know fine. if I can say her name. Yeah, okay. well, uh, she's a very private person. Works oh, this in a is public good. This job, is, you guys you know, are doing great. Pizza wanna, pockets. Wanna <laughs> her, hey, what'd you guys did. do on Valentine's Day? Uh, I ate pizza pockets and spied. Maybe you did a crime. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm uh, discussing private business with me and my very private girlfriend. But we went to the St. Lawrence Market. Thank you for asking. That's, that's kind of nice. That's, that's, nice. that's, that's a good one. Hey, that's a good one. Had some wine, roses, you did a good had thing. a movie. Oh, that's that's a there good you one. go. Oh, really there nice. you go. That's what activity. It's like all all you got to do is plan the activity. Don't ask them what they want to do. Just do the thing. Yes. Do the one thing, and then yeah. Sorry, but pay. And then try to add one little sneaky added treat. Mm. I like how I'm giving this advice to someone yeah. who's single. Like, trust me, that's how you lock down the ladies. You're no, not but for wrong, real. Though. The, the bottle of wine was a great surprise for her at the end, and it was only $12. She didn't need to I, know. Hey, I, she knew. <laughs> no one thought you were ripping a big, expensive bottle of wine, buddy. Uh, that is just a fact. All right, Simon. You're yeah, the it was good. You're the, you're the, you're the like, Adult in the uh, room. A lot you got of pressure. A, wife. Eh? a lot of pressure. Okay, yeah. so I woke up. I did the surprise make breakfast thing. Nice. Right? So Good I got start. up kind of early. Good start. Uh, had roses, obviously. Yeah, nice. Uh, and then the day was just kind of like hanging out. Took the dog for a nice long walk. She yeah. made dinner, champagne, roses. Yes, activity. Chocolate. She got champagne? Well, we had champagne left over from our okay. wedding this summer, so we popped open like a pretty oh, nice bottle see, of champagne. that's kind of nice. This is your yeah. first Valentine's Day married, married couple. Oh, that is wow. cute. Yeah. 
So pretty much what I'm saying is that mine was way better than everybody else's. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, St. Lawrence Market. No, that's good. You know what? You're right. St. Lawrence Market. That's the good. ladies love a market. That's good. The that's ladies good. Love, I a love a market. market. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you do? <laughs> Come on. You're going to go. Well, how many times have you ever gone to a market by yourself? Solo. As a guy? Yeah, never. Yeah. That's a bit that's zero. <laughs> no, a market is nice when you're with mm-hmm. your girlfriend. Because it's like, oh, actually, you know what? I would have never done this. This is actually pretty great. I'm going to spend too much money on cheese. Cheese. Yeah, yeah. it's always cheese. <laughs> it's always, always cheese. Always cheese. Yeah, it's always cheese, guys. It's always. You got to end up spending too much money on cheese. Maybe you buy some kind of a meal that's an impulse buy and you go, oh, this is going to be good. And then it's kind of uh, usually underwhelms. <laughs> Shrimp po' boy. Yep. Shrimp po' boy. But yeah, you're, you're grab. Yeah, see? That's what you got yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, nice. She went with the fish and chips. She's much smarter Ooh. than me. Yeah, see, that's a good choice. That's a good choice for on the fly. Like, that is a great choice. I don't need, a, this is a weird thing to say, but I don't need enough fish and chips. We Like, we need to up our fish mm-hmm. and chip game as a country. Totally. I agree. Like, you don't find good ones in places often. There's like one place I know, a pub, that does them up like really well. Yeah. But I can't think of another place on, yeah, anywhere in Toronto where it's a banger, like you have to go eat here, fish and chips place. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, the market is good. I'm proud of you for that. You got to get a memory, a souvenir from the market though too to mark the the day. Did you do that? No, no. Um I didn't do that. I didn't even think about that. But Jenny, yeah. that's what the, the future. The, my presence was the present and that yeah. will always be in her memory and she'll yeah. cherish that forever. <laughs> that's beautiful. What I yeah. tell myself. That's beautiful. Yeah. No, I think that he's like trying to be more present as we all are. I struggle with that too. It's like phones exist. It's hard. It's hard to be like yeah, locked into a but thing. But the Raptors are they're playing the Magic oh. right now, and it's a close game. The Raptors game last night, I guess, um, that was just basically the culture war game, right? That mm-hmm. could not have been more the culture war game because the Magic only lost because Toronto's bigs and Jakob Pertl, who put up thirty points, who blocked like every shot, seemingly was around every rebound. He was just an he was a force last night. It was a really, really great game. It was enjoyable to watch him play. It is pretty funny that Jalen Suggs' only good performances are against the Raptors, where <laughs> if, if you had only seen him play the Raps, you would go, I think Toronto, this is a debate between him and Scotty Barnes. Yeah. And then all other games, you go, oh, no, no, it's not. It's not a debate. Okay, good to know. Good to know that those other games exist. Pirtle was amazing. But that was a game where if you were in the position that I was in a couple of weeks ago, it's it's... Man, you were trying to increase the value of your own pick. And Orlando was one of those teams that you could have reversed leapfrogged get, to get to the bottom. Toronto wins that game. They beat the Pistons by one, and they're hanging around with the Orlando Magic despite 30 pieces from Pirtle. It's just a reminder of two things, right? Which is, yes, does Pirtle make them better? I think pretty clearly. Does he fit well? Absolutely he does. Could this end up working out from a roster construction standpoint next season? Yeah, but this year, there's just no changing the fact that they're a bad team that they need 30 points from their center against the magic to get by mm-hmm. that. They'll beat the Detroit Pistons with nobody playing for them by a point that they'll blow a huge lead to Utah a couple of nights before and lose. And so it was, it was a weird one for me. I won't lie where I was excited about Pirtle. I was really enjoying his game. I thought there was a, you know what the difference of him this time around from the last time I feel like there's an added layer of nastiness to his game. Mm. Like a little bit more trash talk, a little bit more attitude when he was blocking some of those shots, ripping down some of those boards, making some of those buckets. You could tell there was just a little bit of flair to his game that I don't remember from his first go around with the Raps. Granted, he was a young player, right? Right. The yak and skills thing. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, it was yakking skills that got them that W last night. Yeah. Also really like the Magic's building blocks. It's just that that team, if they blow this iteration of it, is gonna that's gonna suck. Franz didn't have a good game. He was actually kind of the reason they lost. Him and Mo Bamba's one of the or sorry, not Mo Bamba, uh Bol Bol is one of those players where He's like putting up stats, but every play he's making, you're going, that's bad. This is, <laughs> this is, you suck. <laughs> like if he this. lived only in like clips, you'd yeah. be like, oh, he's amazing. Yeah, clips. But then you're actually watching him play the game and you go, yeah, this yeah. is, this. you're a net negative. Like, there's no doubt about this. You are mm-hmm. a net negative. Um, but yeah, I just, this, this is kind of a tough one for them, man. It's just, they're, they're just in this spot where you're going to feel that, Normally, you just want to cheer for your team to win. Like, mm. you just, this is why it sucks not having a clear direction, is I guess the point that I'm trying to make. And not being sure about your team's clear direction is that you're, you're watching it and you're going, I'm enjoying you playing this way and I'm having fun watching it, but I'm used to thinking you're supposed to be losing all year <laughs> and I still believe that's the direction for your team. And yet you're winning and it's looking good and you don't want to be the Debbie Downer that's like, because that's the thing. People expect you to just kind of shift into, well, this is the way it is, and now support the team. You go, well, do I have to? Is that, <laughs> this is how it goes? This is what it's supposed to be? I just immediately have to jump on board with this. I don't get a little bit of time. So, yeah, that was. I would say that was a confusing Raptors game last night. It's a confusing moment to be a fan, and it's a weird feeling that's hanging over this where I think that there's a large portion of the fan base that kind of wants to see them still get a good draft pick, but also potentially fail so they can go see. And then there's a bunch of people who just like so badly want to pretend like this team is better than they are, that they have a better shot than they do. And I just like, yeah, the culture war for the Raptors continues. And I feel like that's one of the most frustrating parts about what we're going to witness moving forward here is just, again, a feeling that there is no, like it's a little rudderless you don't know what the team is going to look like a year from now. You don't know who's going to get signed. You don't know how far they're going to end up going. You don't know how bad they're going to push off of that draft pick. Boy, it's going to, it's just, it's a weird one, man. I can't, I, I cannot remember. I honestly can't remember a time feeling quite like this with an organization. Hmm. Like I, I really don't. It's, it's one of the weirdest watches uh, in recent memory for me. I had a little bit of it to this year with the Seahawks because I thought the Seahawks were going to be terrible. Oh, yeah. And then comparison. they made a playoff run. And it was with Geno Smith, though. So you go, this isn't really going to... It's hard for me to picture him beating Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Okay? <laughs> it's hard to picture that. So you do hit this point where you go, God, I just have to accept and try to enjoy. But it does linger. If you're like a hardcore sports fan and the way that you look at things now is not usually through the prism of just like game by game. It's through the bigger picture. It, it's just, it's still going to remain hard. By the way, thanks to everybody who shared their thoughts um, and who sent DMs after um, Born and I's conversation yesterday. It was really nice, and, and I'm trying to reach back out to as many people as I possibly can. Um, and I appreciate, like, again, all the kind words and all the people that sh- uh, shared stories. It was just, it was hard to get to everything. Um, Elliot Friedman, 32 Thoughts. Uh, rumor season, it's here. The Raptors rumors are done. Uh, bring on the hockey rumors. What's up, buddy? How we doing? Not much, JD. How's everything going with you? Just uh, waiting for something to happen. Yeah, okay, this is this feels like there's been a drastic shift in the rumor market, though, in the last, I don't know, 48 hours. It's like Carlson's name, Chikrin, uh, Kane talking about his disappointment not going to the Rangers, Gavrikov yep. gets scratched. Like, am I, is this just recency buys? I don't remember it happening this early where it felt like there was this much buzz or, like, there were this many moves that were just 
like ready to fall. The dominoes were ready to fall weeks away from the deadline. I'm not sure that the, I think the weird thing is I'm not sure how ready it is. Like that take could be turn out to be really bad just okay. because all, it's, all, it, all, all it takes is one phone call to, uh, <laughs> to come out and change things. But now it's been what four days since Chikrin was held out mm-hmm. and nothing has happened here. And depending on who you talk to, they don't necessarily think anything is overly close. Although what I do think has happened is some other teams have re-entered the conversation. Um, you know, Gavrikov, we'll see. Like that was only yesterday. Like the thing is, this when this used to happen, it was because the guy was getting traded the next day, like yeah. that night or the next day. This is this is one of the first times, and and people will tell me if I'm wrong, but as far as I can remember, this is the first time a guy was held out for a trade on a Saturday. And here we are, it's Wednesday morning and nothing has happened yet. And that is new. That is unique. And that is definitely going to cause a debate about, you know, what is going on here and should this be allowed to happen? Uh, Personally, I don't see why it shouldn't be allowed. It's, you know, as long as the player is on board and they understand what's happening with the organization. And, like, if Chikrin doesn't want to be there and Gavrikov wants to move on to a different destination, then I think that those guys would know, hey, um, we're starting to get the bids up. You're right, though. That's, that's the way I interpret it. When I first saw that Chikrin was scratched, I thought, okay, I'm, I, I went to bed not knowing where he was going, and I expected to wake up knowing that he, like, who his new team was. Do you think the yeah, Leafs are in on both those guys? I don't think they're in on Chikrin. I do think they're around on Gavrikov. Um, the, the, but I, I also believe that Toronto, at least in... Right now, as it stands, and again, these things change very quickly, I think they're looking at a forward. I, I, I think that's what they've decided, at least right now, that their priority is. So do I, I think they're in on Gavrikov, but I, I think they're looking at a forward right now. Okay, so I, I want to go through a couple of those names with you, but it is interesting, too, because... It feels like Toronto's year has been so, you know, up and down and back and forth in terms of trying to read what exactly the team is going to try to add or how big of a swing. I know that at times you've thought like this is a this is a swing season for them. I think most people do, considering, again, the, the state of the roster and the way that they've played this year. But Dubas, he has his, you know, post all-star address and he does it on NBA trade deadline. So I don't think a lot of people saw it. But there was a lot of posturing of, like, don't want to trade Nyes, don't want to trade the first-round pick. I guess the question, like, what's your read on the level of this being posturing versus reality, um, his reluctance to give up, you know, players or significant players' pieces, assets for, yeah, a big swing at the deadline? Well, I I think you really have to uh, look at what he said. Number one, I think the last thing Dubas wants to do is ignite a blaze. Um, it, it doesn't take a lot for this market to go crazy uh, over the team. And the last thing he wants to do is pour gasoline on things. So I always look at that. Number two, there's some things I take him at face value on. He's not trading, uh, he's not trading knives for a rental. He's not trading his other top prospects for a rental. He's not, like he tried his first round pick uh, for a rental once with Nick Foligno. It didn't work out, and I don't think he wants to do that again. Mm -hmm. I think he also sees, in most cases, J.D., there's some differences, but in most cases, I think this is a real buyer's market. I think some of the sellers are worried that their pieces aren't going to go, and I do think there are some GMs 
who look at it like if I wait and I'm patient, I can get a good deal out there. Now, I think if 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 like Meyer is a little different, and Toronto, look, I, I think the two teams that have been really aggressive on Meyer, New Jersey, and uh, and Carolina. Um, the, the thing I think about the Leafs is, I know they've called about them, uh, and I think it intrigues them. I'm just not sure. Like it would like it would be a hell of a strategy and a hell of a way to go and to trade for them and then say, okay, we'll deal with this all at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And if I was in their shoes, I, I, I would strongly consider that. I, I think the thing is, you know that you're, you're diving into a little bit of uncertainty and what are you willing to do to get there? Like that'll cost you. So I think they have to weigh that. But I, I, like, like, I, I think this, I think Dubas thinks he's got a really good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you know, Tampa caught them last night. Um, you know, we're, we'll see where this is going to go. But you're looking at a division with five points percentage, three of the top five teams in the league. Like so at some point in time, you've got to take your shot. And I think Dubas looks at this team. And, you know, the other thing too, J.D., is the beginning of this year, they looked awful. They put it together, and they played really well when a lot of people were hurt on defense and on the blue line. They've played well when key forwards have been out. Like at some point in time, you got to say, you know what? We're pushing our chips all in, and we're taking our shot with this group. And this group has given you a lot of reasons to believe that you should take a shot at them. And plus, also, we know. And, and I don't think Dubis will make the move because of this. I don't think he – I think, like, he knows. Like, let's just say, for argument's sake, they lose in the first round, and they say, okay, we're changing the GM. The last thing he's going to do is make some deal that's going to look bad in his resume for a long time. It's stupid. Yeah, of course. He's not. So, uh, like, I think they'll take their shot, but I'll think they'll take it within reason. Yeah, the the Meyer one is interesting. Like that. That's all I could think is when he used that terminology of a rental was yeah. that kind of the way of skirting around. Yeah, we're not going to give up a first and nice for rental, but. Maybe he's not that because he is that RFA. Okay, so the only other thing I want to hit on from that media conference before you know we get into maybe some of these names and some of the buzz around some of the guys is why do you think the Leafs are so non-committal publicly about bunting? And it just when it coincides with the day where they extended a different Arizona Coyotes cast off. Well, I, I think the reason is is that you know Timmins is a contract that's it, it's. It's not. It doesn't really like financially. I think it's a really good gamble. Sure, but it's financially, bucks, it, right? it's like it, for it two doesn't years. move the needle on the cap, right? You know, you can fit that one in. And the other thing too is, and I don't think this will happen for Timmins. I think he'll be a a good player for them. But if you have to put him in the American Hockey League, he comes off your cap. Yeah, okay. Because it's under one point two five next year. I think is what it is. So it, it like it's a worthwhile gamble. The thing about bunting is that's obviously going to be a bigger number. <laughs> and I don't think the Leafs, first of all, I think this. I think the Leafs will make a lot of decisions based on how the playoffs go, who's good and who isn't. And secondly, you know, the other thing, too, is they've got a Matthews extension they've got to deal with here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, think they, I think they hope to get it done right away. But you've got to know what the number is and you've got to know what the cap is. And, you know, I think that's what they're waiting for. I think they're waiting to get some clarity on what the cap is, what Matthew's number is, and then the bigger deals around it will take shape. It just, again, this is a total outsider's perspective, but 
it, it felt like with Hyman, they really wanted him. It just got to a point where they went, damn, okay. And it never really felt that way so much with Jack Campbell. Like, and I know that these are just two guys that went to the Oilers, but I, I feel like I'm getting more Jack Campbell vibes from the bunting situation than I am getting the, like, the, the Zach Hyman one where it just becomes untenable. It's just more of like, a, yeah, we'll wait and see because they don't feel as like much of a risk of losing them. I don't know if I, I, I would agree with that. I, I think the Hyman one, like the, Edmonton went to a place Toronto was not willing to go. Yeah. Like there's there's no question about that. And the Campbell one, I think that went off the rails early last year and never got back on. Like so Bunting's not like that? I don't think so. I okay. think I don't think there's been a lot of talk with Bunting about an extension, but I do think that this is about their overall cap picture and results speak. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, I, I think a lot of determination, like, th- like these are a huge playoffs for them. Like, there's a lot of things that could be decided coming out of them. I, like, if, if the GM it doesn't have a contract after this year, I don't know why anybody, and, like, you know, I, I think I said this to Jeff once, you look at Dubas's record as GM in the playoffs, no, they haven't won a series. The regular season record is really good. Mm-hmm. And if you're 52 years old like I am and you, and you lived in Toronto almost all your life, you've seen a lot of hockey that's a lot worse than this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, if, if they're going to say, look, the GM's got to prove it in the playoffs, like everybody else up and down the roster has got to understand the same thing. Like, if he's not safe, who is? Yeah. Well, I guess that's maybe the other one before we get into trade stuff is the, the conversation you and I had before the season was about – hey, what were going to be the scenarios in terms of his extension and the risk and the, the Leafs were undertaking in terms of his possibility of leaving? Um, like, just based on, and you're right, that move that they make for Timmons is fine because they can bury it in the minors. It's just like, not, do you get the sense that uh, it, it is now, like, it, that there's any difference in terms of his long-term future in Toronto? Like, that they've started to at least discuss things or that there's an no. inclination of he is going to return? Nothing like that, right? It's, so it's going to be completely I, up in the air. I don't believe so. I, I don't believe so. I mean... They, they really, you know, they really are careful about discussing mm-hmm. um, his situation. But I don't, I don't have any reason to believe at this point in time uh, that that's changed. That it'll be decided at the end of the year. Okay. So, and I and I and I would I would I would guess, JD, that our employer would have a, a have a nice say in that conversation too. Mm. So I should reserve judgment until they have. They, they no, do, I, no, they no. I don't position. think. I think you should. I, first of all, we know you're not going to do that. Yeah. And secondly, <laughs> uh, no, we're all entitled to our opinions. But yeah. I recognize, you know, everything that's going on around it. Uh, so the Leafs have a pretty strong history with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, although it's weird because Davidson and Dubis last year, it seemed like there was some contention between the two when it came to the deadline and some leaking of, hey, what would have gotten done, but then they come together on the Mrazic trade. But, like, clearly they, they know each other. They got each other's numbers. They, they don't mind doing something. There's, a, there's yep. a little bit of buzz building that Patrick Kane might be interested in being a Toronto Maple Leaf, and I couldn't – I, like, I was fully blown away by his comments the other day about the Rangers. Like, I, I went, holy crap, he said that, that. Like, this isn't a joke quote. I thought this was fake. It was real. Nope. He was actually mm-hmm. expressing disappointment about the Rangers making a move. Um, do you think that the Leafs are becoming a more likely destination for Patty Kane? Well, I, I think, you know, I think last week was confirmation what a lot of us believe, which is that the Rangers were by far his first choice. Yeah. 
And, and, I, and I don't know if there was a close second. I mean, we'll find out. I think he has to recalibrate a bit, but uh, he definitely uh, wanted to go to the Rangers. I think the, the biggest challenge here is, well, is to, number one, how do they fit him in? And do they have, like, if they're going to do this, how do they, who, who do they have to pay off to maybe be a third team? So you're talking about a team that doesn't have a lot, that has some good assets, but not a lot of them that is going to have to make two trades to get this done. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two, and, and you know, boy, I, I don't like uh, critiquing Patrick King because I think the guy is a Hall of Famer. He's not the it's same just guy. That If you've watched him lately, mm-hmm. like Toronto is a team that likes to play fast, really fast. And I just wonder, can he play at the pace that Toronto likes to play at. Hmm. It, like, like, I, I, like, it's just like, I, I've been watching Kane a lot lately um, because, you know, like, he's a, one, he's a great player. Yeah. Uh, and two, he's a huge name. And because, you know, you're trying to see, because I've heard these rumors about Toronto too, and you just watch him. And, like, the one thing I, I think you, especially if you're going to do this, like, the fit has to make sense. Yep. Like, I think Edmonton's had interest in Kane, you know, and they have a 30% power play. And, like, you know that if you bring him in, you're probably going to have to put him on your first power play to make it work. And, like, is Edmonton going to do that? Like, I look for fit. Like, to me, like, a team like Dallas makes more sense. Uh, Vegas, if he's interested in them. Uh, makes a little more sense. Like the thing I wonder about for Toronto is the the way the Leafs play. Does that make sense? And I just don't know that it does. Yeah, this is something that um, a lot a lot of people have mentioned that are watching a lot of the Blackhawks, which is, hey, these are bigger names than they are um, actual practical pieces for certain teams, and that's in reference mm-hmm. to Kane and Taves. And, uh, you know, Christopher Stieg, friend of mine, we, he and I have talked about this a lot, and he's of the mind that those guys go to a new spot and they get the shot in the arm. Mm, I, I just, I, I don't know what the history of that is, you know, like the history of a guy's game drastically shifting from a bad spot to a new spot and all of a sudden they're a new player. Um, what ha- the last Chicago Blackhawks one, though, what happened to the buzz around Jake McKay? Because it almost felt like it was an inevitability that he was going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf based on the way the rumor wins were swirling. I, like, like I think there's interest in McCabe. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, I just think the one thing is, is I don't know if Toronto's going to pay that price. Hmm. Like, if Chicago wants a first-round pick to eat his salary for two more years, which I think they probably would ask for, I, I'm just not convinced Toronto's going to pay that. Hmm. Where, where do you think the Leafs are in in terms of the Ryan O'Reilly discussions? How real are those? I think it's. I think that is somewhat legitimate. Um, like, like I think that the lead, like if you look at who they're going to play, they're going to play a, play a team that is skilled and is mean, mm-hmm. right? And and you know you and that's Tampa, and you know you you can't. The thing is, you can't always play to beat one team because if you win the Stanley Cup, obviously you got to meet four. Uh, this is a bit unique because they know who they're going to get and there's so much on the line. Like you almost have to, I think you have to sort of knock out the traditional thinking and say, we better be ready to beat this team. 
Like, like Tampa, as good as they are, I don't think they get enough credit for how mean they are, which is why I love watching them. And I think they're going to try to get meaner. Like, I, I think they're looking at guys like, like Tyler Bertuzzi, for example. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that because I think they might get priced out of it. But, um, like, I think they're going to look at that kind of a player. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're going to try to get meaner. And I, and I think that the Leafs know that you've got to beat them with skill and you've got to beat them with meanness. And uh, I think that's what the Leafs are going to – and O'Reilly can kind of fit with that. But, again, again, like, like I just think the, the question is, like, do they think the fit is good? I, I love O'Reilly. I, I, I think he can play anywhere. Oh, yeah, he, I mean, that to me is just about as perfect a fit as you can get for this Leafs team. And and you know what, like the mean quotient, it, like I completely agree with you, that actually feels like the one thing they just, they, they haven't been able to tap into. They've hit like guys for a moment that it's kind of worked, but they keep searching for it these last couple of seasons, and it, it just feels like whatever they try to do there, either the player's a little too old or it's a guy that doesn't end up fitting quite well or not good enough to fully replace somebody else, it just... They, they could really use that. I just don't know if you can add a player or two and that really changes things against the Tampa and, and the Bruins where it feels like most of the team is mean and nasty and, yeah, is going to be able to do that. Uh, are you reading anything into Justin Hall being scratched? Uh, well, I, I think the thing is that they have enough defensemen now, at mm-hmm. least, that they can do that. Um, so, like, I think Keith likes competition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like, He's not beyond saying, like, I think coaches like it when they can make players a little bit uncomfortable. Like, you know, say, like, okay, like, if you don't perform to the level we expect you, you know, there's someone who can take your job. And um, so I think that, like, I don't necessarily think this is the end for Justin Hall or anything like that. I, but I do believe it's a coach sending him a message. Okay, so and we've got we've got a level that we expect you to play at, and if you're not going to be there, someone's going to take your spot. Mm-hmm. I, I think, like I think, the least defense is really fascinating because I think a lot of these guys have played really well this year, like really well this year. But I think everybody still wonders, like that Boston game uh, at, on the Wednesday night. You know, they they really felt. You can tell the Bruins felt very comfortable pressuring them, mm-hmm. and I don't think you should necessarily overreact to one game in February or end of January. But I do think that teams look at how playoff teams play them as an, as a referendum on how teams think they can attack them. And if you watch that game that night, and I hope you did, JD, because it was on Sportsnet. They really felt they could pressure. Toronto's D. You know, it hurts me that you don't, that uh, maybe you don't know, I do a little show called Leafs Talk, uh, subscribe I, and review uh, with Justin Boyd. I, 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 I do, I am well aware. And, I've watched it after games. You guys the, are good for it. Very good. Thank you. I, yeah. Uh, and the take that I had off of that game was I am reacting to one game in February in the sense of <laughs> Rasmus Sandin, I don't think can play in that series. And this isn't just a one game take. This is actually something that's been building a little bit. He seems to be a guy that struggles a little bit with the pressure and with the size of other players. Like, he's got that little bit of in-betweenness to him. He had the contract negotiation that got a little tough, but then settled out during the offseason. Um, they don't want to put Matthew Nyes in trades. Like, you've made that clear. Others have made that clear. Like, it really does feel as though it would be a surprise anyway. You can tell me if I'm wrong if he ended up in a deal, even if it was for a Timo Meyer. Um 
but how available do you think Rasmus Sandin is? Like, do you think that he's a guy that this organization at this point is dangling? Because to me, he feels like just the, the piece that is the odd man out. Well, I think, I think if they're going to trade him, if the return's going to be good, like they're not, hmm. they're not just moving him for the sake of moving him. Like the, the thing about Sandin is n- number one, he's uh, a guy who they, they drafted high. Uh, number two, um, he's a guy that they could have traded this summer when all the headache was going on, and they didn't. Um, number three, I still think the player has room to grow and has taken steps. I agree with your questions about him. I totally understand where you're coming from. But the other thing, if, if you really look at it, um, it, it, J.D., like, they don't have a lot of defensemen signed long-term. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go to Cap Friendly or Puckpedia and you look at it, mm-hmm. like, their blue line is really open really open and that's why i wonder like do they look at sandine they look at lilligren and say these are guys that could be here for a long time and and i think i think they're wary of trading these guys i like sandine i still think has a has room to grow and a lot to give Mm -hmm. um and i think they would be very careful about trading him um you also forgot to mention that he played for the Sioux. Yeah, I, you know what? Like, I, I do think that, uh, like, I, I think obviously <laughs> that matters. They have a bias towards players there. Yeah. But I don't think it would prevent them from yeah. trading him if they felt it was like, no, like I'm just being facetious. A, of, uh, yeah, yeah. No, well, you know what? Like, you're not wrong to point that out. Like, yeah. they obviously have a bias towards going out and getting guys who played there. Uh, but I yeah. don't think they'd keep them. Yeah, just because of type. But so you don't think he's available? Like it's not an open trade secret of hey, you know, give us a call if you're interested in this guy. No, I think if he got traded, you'd look at the return and say, oh, okay, I get that. Holy crap, that's a that's a yeah. big one. Okay, and then yeah, or it makes, or it makes sense. Okay. Or it makes sense that they would include him, yeah. Um, last one is just that kind of theory about Nice. Again, uh, spoke to him yesterday. He seems he, like he's in good communication. He's on the media leaves. tour right now, eh? I, yeah, he, it's 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 weird. I I think though I don't want to spoil my interview because I'm running it as a tape um, tomorrow. But yeah, mm-hmm. it felt like he started the media tour and he was a little spicier with some of the comments. And by the time I got to him, he was a little bit more like, uh, uh, no comment. <laughs> so there's some good <laughs> stuff. Okay, we focus a lot on student life, but yeah, in refer in reference to the Leafs, it was like. He was aware they were a hockey team in Canada. <laughs> that, that was about as committal as he would get to things about them. But, yeah, it does, it does feel like there's a pretty strong relationship there. You know, you talk to guys like Mike Fuda. He says that he's one of the best live viewings he's ever seen, which is, like, really, mm-hmm. really strong praise from a guy like Fuda. Um, it, like, does he, do you think he'd be available in just about any deal that, like, for a player that is left? Like, so basically, a Timo Meyer is the top of the food chain when it comes to these things, yeah. right? Or a chicken, but it doesn't feel like they're in on chicken to you. Is, is he a guy that that's basically what it's going to come down to, to you is whether they'd move him in a deal for Timo. Well, I, I, I would say this, I, like the, uh, you know, like the, like David Quinn is coaching the sharks. He has a history with knives, right? So like, there's a guy who would know him really well. And San Jose would have good intel on him. Look, I, like, I think this, I, I think the thing, I think Nye is going to be a really good player. I think the Maple Leafs made an excellent pick getting him in the second round. Mm-hmm. They, they were, you know, there was a guy who had a bad draft year and teams kind of walked away from him. It was a perfect gamble for Toronto. And it looks like it's going to pay off big. I think the thing is, like, like I think there's a lot of people who really like Nye as a player. Uh, I think that, but I think they think it's 
potentially unrealistic to believe that he's going to come in this year and make a difference on a team that can win the Stanley Cup. But I think he's going to be a very good NHLer for a long time. Yes. The question is, can you reasonably expect him to make a difference this season? And I think that's kind of what everybody's saying. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe, I believe Dubis. They're not trading him unless it's for an impact player they can control. I'll tell you this. If they think they can get Meyer and San Jose says it's got to include him, then they're going to have something to think about. But mm-hmm. I think right now uh, they believe he's coming and they, they believe he's coming at the end of this year and they think he's going to be a good player for a long time. Again, if they trade him, we're going to look at that trade and say, uh, okay, I see why they did this. Yeah. Um, uh, our friend of the show, Anthony Petrelli, uh, wrote a really great piece outlining all of the different college players coming up to the pros for playoff mm-hmm. runs, and it's a pretty disappointing list. And it's one that's full of like, yeah, okay, there's a good example here of a Chris Kreider. It's like this is all power play points, and – uh, where's Matthew Nyes getting power play time with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now? Actually, maybe that's where they need the shot in the arm because it kind of feels like they're going with that trend again of the power play hitting some stagnant, uh, hitting a stagnant phase in February. Uh, Elliot Friedman, I always appreciate the time, man. I know it's busy season. Normally, uh, I want to pick your brain all about, you know, being an insider during these times, but I, I know you got to run, so I appreciate it. All right, Jay, my pleasure. Take care, bud. Take care, too. Elliot Friedman. Yeah, I just... I, I forgot what I really want to ask him, but I didn't have time for today was what his preference is in terms of like the perfect deadline. Like, does he want a day where his phone explodes on the one day mm. or does he want it staggered during rumor season where it's like bit by bit by bit, like day by day, you get one here, you get one there. Cause you gotta remember like, he's the guy. Mm-hmm. You're the guy. You're the guy. You're the one number one guy everything's kind of running through you. You got to be on top of it. Yeah. There's almost got to be a little bit once the deadline's done, like, okay, phew, now I can just talk about hockey. Now I don't have to be trying to balance relationships and push too far. Sources. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't have to be bugging people anymore. Like, what's up with this all the time? You know, like that's, <laughs> although I'm sure a lot of people have just come to him. He's like, Freeman. again, that's called being number one. Okay, I want to get into some of the nice thoughts. Although I should probably do them tomorrow considering I have them. Uh, okay, no, a couple things. A couple thoughts from Elliot. You know, because he does 32 thoughts. Justin Bourne used to do thoughts on thoughts. Mm-hmm. Now I got thoughts on that interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got thoughts on those rumors. Okay. Number one. It it really does feel like the price for, like, they're clearly out on Chikrin. I don't know. It, it was, there was some smoke a little bit earlier, like, hey, maybe they're in on him, whatever. It, it certainly feels like from putting pieces together from Elliot in that and from others in the past that the, the price point has just gotten too far for the Leafs to right. be bringing them in. And if they're focused on a forward, which Elliot said in this interview, like then you're not using up all your assets to get Chikrin. Two, he did mention they're looking at Gavrikov. And that remains to be seen to me like the real defenseman. I, I still wonder if they are going to grab him or Jake McCabe. But it feels like, based on Elliot's discussion there, that the price for Toronto to eat the Jake McCabe money is too high. That Chicago, during the draft, went, yeah, we'll eat all that money for Morazic, and we'll only trade back a certain amount in the draft. Like, we'll trade some draft pick 
equity, which was mm-hmm. actually, I will say that that pick was a lot more valuable in terms of the sliding back that Toronto had to do than people had made it out to seem in hindsight a little bit. But either way, it was still a great trade for Toronto getting off that money. It's just always so great when people celebrate Dubas for those kind of deals where they go, look, he was amazing at escaping from a contract that he signed. <laughs> you know, it's just like Lee fans, like the Dubas sites absolutely love celebrating those trades. Look, he got off of Nick Ritchie and it only cost him a second round pick. Yeah. Hurrah. Yeah. He gave him that contract. <laughs> for the love of God. Um, anyway, Gavrikov feels like the more realistic guy. And he's the guy that I've always wanted for the Leafs. I think that, Personally, he just fits what they need a little bit more, that little bit of nastiness, that extra bit of shutdown. I would be disappointed if the Leafs stood pat with their blue line. Personally, I just think that, yes, it's a good group. They don't need the overhaul. They don't need that big trick chicken swing. I think that's what they learned. We don't need the type that comes in here and is the quote-unquote muzzin replacement of the future that some people thought they might need. That's part of the McCabe appeal, right? He's not a rental. I need to stop flicking my laptop screen because if I crack it, I'm going to feel like an idiot. But the McCabe feels like we're trying to plan the blue line down the line because of what he said there about how many defensemen they have under contract moving forward, the future of Jake Muzzin, go on down the line, the future of Mark Giordano turning 40 next year. There's just, there's question marks, right? So that gives them some stability. Doesn't feel like they need that as much that this, this season they're looking at it and going, yeah, we'd actually rather not have money on the books moving forward, especially considering the Austin Matthews money. So to me, Gavrikov, more realistic of the two guys. Next, a um, little bit of feeling better about Michael Bunting. Because again, I just, th- this is not source stuff for me. Like, you know, sometimes I get a little piece little from somebody, a little tidbit, little little snippet from somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't have that for Bunting at all. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves of like, what does this remind me of with all of the own rentals that the Toronto Maple Leafs have had with Zach Hyman? It always felt like the whole conversation around him was, is this guy a piece of the core? And Elliot said it, they went to a place where Toronto just could not go. And that's what Edmonton did. They went seven years. Right. And actually, as of right now, it's totally fine for Edmonton. He's (laughs) a beast. The numbers are a lot of, yeah, a lot of power play stuff, but that's what Edmonton does. Like they've got studs on the power play and he fits with them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Zach Hyman is money in the bank so far. So good for the Edmonton Oilers. I don't think right now they're thinking about like, Oh, what about year seven? (laughs) Anyway, so far, so good. It was coming off the injury though. There were reasons to not have it happen, but boy, I've just never got that feeling around Michael Bunting that, like, he's always the guy they compare to Zach Hyman. It, last year with the, the Jack Campbell negotiation, like, again, Elliot said it. It felt like it went off the rails early. Nick Kiprios actually was the man who was on top of it from the jump where he said the Leafs lowballed him, and it kind of offended Jack Campbell's camp, mm-hmm. and they were never really able to get back So, like, I think that's kind of like putting those pieces together. That's the way it was. I just, I do wonder what that's like with Bunting's group, where he's had two unbelievably successful seasons here, and he fits perfectly within the top six. He gives them a little bit of that bite that we're talking about. He's not like a heavy four-check hit guy, but I do think bite comes, like, that word that Elliot's talking about, that comes in a variety of different forms. And to me, one of those ways is some fearlessness. And I think that Michael Bunting is fearless. I think that comes with being, you know, there, some of that is having the yappy dog 
that the team is going to take the dumb penalty against, who isn't afraid to go to the dirty areas, who isn't afraid to, you know, mess around in front of the net. Bunting gives them some of that. And so I wonder what the value is. I wonder how replaceable they think he is and whether or not that's a situation where they do look at it like the goaltender where they say, yeah, we like getting goalies on cheap, short contracts. We don't like giving goalies money and term. Mm -hmm. And where does that sort of the fifth forward part of this end up playing out, especially with somebody like Nyes coming up if they decide not to move him and where they're going to slot him. Next, um, Kane Taves, I think the only way that that's a reality at this point, and this is of today. I'm going to, you know, we're weeks away. It's March 3rd from the deadline. Kane Taves feels like the only way that those guys are coming here is if they say that's one of the only spots I want to go. And the price point is ridiculously low. And Chicago says, we're just trying to do right by these guys. And we're taking back minimal assets. It just doesn't feel like that's realistic. Um, The idea of seeing Patty Kane in a Leafs sweater is extremely sexy. It's a sexy, (laughs) sexy visual. It is. Oh boy, is it ever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think he would need to straight up say Toronto's the only place I want to go. And if that happens, great. Then you take them. And you give up the smaller asset, but it's pretty clear, like, yeah, you're not giving up, I don't think anyways, uh, a major one to try to get them to eat that salary and to move him here when you're getting less of a guarantee. Um, The Ryan O'Reilly comment was super interesting. Um, I don't want to misquote Elliot. We'll maybe keep it for playing it later. But to me, that is now the number one target for the Leafs because I don't think you got to give up Matthew Nyes to get in on that. And he just fits perfectly with what they need so badly. There's like a, if, if we're again, putting the pieces together, Elliot saying, I think that they want to be in on a forward. They're not really crazy about moving off of Matthew Nyes. The uncertainty of Chikrin could make them a little uncomfortable considering, you know, all of the uncertainty around an Austin Matthews. This might be the place where there's the little bit of the happy median, which is, targeting Ryan O'Reilly also gives them center depth, which they really desperately need because you've seen them go with David camp, whose game has slipped this year. Um, I, I don't agree that the Leafs are better than they were last year. Like I, I think that we're back to the spot where it's like, nah, you're the same. You're pretty much the same. You do some things better. You do some things worse. And it's sort of, it's, it's in the wash now. Hmm. They're the same team. Yeah. Are they better defensively than they were a year ago? Do they play a little bit more of a disciplined style? Sure. But it's also hard to really overpraise them too much when they give up 22 shots in a period to the worst team in hockey and 40 in a game with their backup goaltender net. Every team has bad games, but I just, I don't want to overreact to some of this stuff. Ryan O'Reilly gives them some of that bite, that nastiness, a guy that you can picture, you close your eyes and go a big game against Boston, a big game against Tampa. Yeah. That's a guy you want to have. That's a guy that you'd feel great about. Again, people will you know, bitch and moan about the asking price, but that is what it is. Um, next, the hall being scratched thing can take that out of the mix. However, you know, if he is getting scratched at his money, uh, maybe he is a guy that does end up getting thrown in a trade. Uh, lastly, it's kind of interesting that they still value Rasmus sending that highly or that they haven't at least, you know, opened it up to the rest of the league going, Hey, uh, give us an offer. Mm. What do you view him as? Because to me, it's just like there's no room for Rasmus here this season. And are you really keeping him to be on a cheap one next year when the opponents aren't changing? Right. And he's still kind of the similar guy. To me, it's just, again, some guys can be awesome and the situation really matters. And to me, it's like the situation currently with the Leafs is 
you are going to be playing the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning to get through the playoffs year over year. And Rasmus Sandin does not fit those series. Yeah, I did kind of like Elliot's point about not to or to paraphrase, like building your team to beat the Lightning specifically. Yes, but, I, you know? but that's it. Is like if if you're looking at the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a stupid thing to say. Like the thing that you need to try to get to beat the Chiefs is a physical player in the secondary that can try exactly. to be your Derwin James to help slow down Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. because the NFL goes through Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes never played a road playoff game that wasn't the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's a wow stat of the day. Hey, JD's wow stat of the day. Yeah. As, as Pat Mahomes has never played a road playoff game. Um, so you got to be ready for a Travis Kelsey. And I think that it's a similar thing. As long as Tampa and Boston are there, you have to be ready for the meanness and you have to be ready for those the, the forecheck that comes with those teams. And I don't think Rasmus Sandy's ready for that. And sure, you could say it's an overreaction, whatever. I don't think that he fits the grind of what it's going to take to get out of those series. And I don't see him playing a role. And so I'm sorry. I am, if I'm the Leafs, that's sort of the number one trade chip that I'm trying to incentivize to teams. I'm saying, what would you give us for this? Like, what is the value of this? I'm at least trying to figure out what that is. Remember, when we were in the Raptors trade deadline, they wanted all the credit in the world because they found out the value of what their players were. Like, oh, yay. (laughs) Then I want to find out if I'm Kyle Dubas what the value of Rasmus Sandin is around the league. I want it to be more than, hey, it would be a lot for him. Cool, set your price high. Let that be known to the rest of the league. But find out what that price is. Because Nyes is more important to your future, in my opinion. Having a big six foot three forward who's under term and control, who might bring a bit of that bite, that's more important to me than a defenseman who's mm, five nine, five ten, and who gets lit up a lot. Who can every once in a while try to throw the body. He's like the dog that thinks he's small or bigger than he is. But ultimately, like, yeah, he struggles under hard pressure four checks from really good players, and he's just a little bit too small. Too small. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Anyway, uh, I'll do more nice thoughts tomorrow after the interview with Matthew Nice. Quick break. Let's come back. So I mentioned it. I thought that full swing would do nothing for me. I went, come on. What are we doing here? You're taking the F1 drivers and trying to pretend like that's not what's interesting about the show, that it's just the production of this. Like, you can't do this with other products. And then I started reading the quotes. I started reading the quotes. And granted, they're from the producers, the guys that, made, that are from Box to Box that made Full Swing, which again is today out on Netflix. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm excited now. I wonder if my expectations have gotten too high. Joe House of the Ringer's Fairway Rolling Podcast. Um, I, where, where are your expectations with this show? First of all, hey, sorry to hear about the surgery. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Are you kidding me? And and we're not. No reason to say sorry about the surgery. Uh, I, I feel lucky yeah. out of all of the things that that could have befallen me. Yeah. Especially with uh, you know my love of barbecue. Yeah. We just we just take care of business. We're upright. We're moving. It's okay. fine. But thank you for the kind sentiments. And I also want to thank you for bringing me in like that. I mean, we're going to drop it like it's house. Drop yeah. it like it's house. Yeah. It's wonderful. And he, here we are. But yes. Full swing. Now, have you uh, had a sneak preview? Have you um, 
jumped into the streamers? Did you, did you get some of that access ahead of time, JD? I did not. I'm not big dog like you, Joe House. I this is what here's <laughs> here's what Netflix knows about me. Nothing. <laughs> like they are. Uh, here's here's the people at Netflix not aware of my existence. Yeah, the, this would be the closest thing I'm getting to that. Same thing is true for House. Let's be honest. But you know, I know people. I know a yeah. couple of people. That's all right. All. So you've seen um, a little bit of this. So, you got, you've had a taste. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I think you might be on to something. This is going to, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it might exceed your expectations, J.D. Okay, this excites me. So first of all, I think that them putting this out the day after Valentine's is like this. How many relationships do you think that saved? First of all, like how, how, how many, how many couples, like I, I was watching some of the guys at the waste management this weekend. I'm thinking, God, what do you have to do to be able to have this like license in a relationship to just show up here and be like publicly this intoxicated in the stands with like college students. And then to have this roll out immediately afterwards and go, no, I've got to use up the, the Netflix queue and, and watch like hours and hours and hours of golf. But yeah. Okay. So I'm reading, this was the quote that got me. This is where I'll start with this. Um, Apparently, Rory is, quote, all in. He joined later in the season, so I don't know if you've seen him in the screeners, but if I'm going to yeah. base anything off of the interactions that he had with Patrick Reed at the Saudi, then that, that excites me. It kind of feels like we're entering this period of Rory is ready to be the mouthpiece of the PGA, and I, I think he's actually a great one. I think he's really good at it. I think, yeah, he's going to bring in casuals. If he's all in, I think this works. Yeah, I, I think that observation's on the money. Uh, and, and Rory really kind of transformed himself over the course of, of last year. He yep. became the face of the tour. You're absolutely right about that. And he has a particular attitude for it. He's charismatic. He's thoughtful. He resonates. Um, and so he, the, the, the tour is extraordinarily lucky to have him mm-hmm. and to catch him at this at this moment where – you know, he has the maturity, he has the gravitas, he's playing awesome. Like, you know, they're, they're, he, he's one of the uh, best players in the world. He also can sure. be a dick. Like, that's very clear yeah. that if he wants to be a dick, like, that is very in his bag. You know, like, he's got that there. We can see it. He's not a guy we want to upset. Was, no, you want to be on the right side uh, uh, of Rory. He doesn't tolerate fools, and I think that that's part of um, – what comes through in the show for 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 sure, and and it was a good get by by the show. I mean, mm-hmm. I I think he he and and uh, a couple other guys maybe were like, oh, I I don't have to say yes right away. Why don't I just see how it goes, see how intrusive it is? And he was clear about the rules that he wanted in terms of access to any of his real personal life. He's willing to show himself in a professional way, mm-hmm. but a tremendous get because the face of the tour. At the moment of this existential crisis, you're getting real-time um, feedback from him as, as this is all going down. You know, it's a very different sort of position and place we're in right this second than when he was doing that filming last year. They're still sorting so much out. Yeah, I, I read that he, that's what his position was, that he wanted to watch season one, see how invasive it was for the golfers. And then he shocked all the producers by all of a sudden coming to them and going, whoa, 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 I want to be a part of controlling this narrative. I want to be a part of, yeah, I think he probably recognized that this is going to be fairly important in terms of kind of shaping what side of this you're on. And he wanted to get his piece in. And so that's why he ended up getting involved. He didn't want to be late to the party on it. In that respect, I don't think you can give too much credit to Jordan Spieth and to Justin Thomas. JT and Jordan 
carried so much water with the rest of the guys. Speaking of, of you know, players that influenced the thinking of, of other, other people hmm. and their role in terms of building, uh, you know, a comfort level for everybody else to participate in this thing, like their involvement um, and, and, and right from the jump, their involvement made it easier for other guys to say yes. And then over the course of the shows, one of the things that sort of comes out, and this is particularly interesting with, with Ricky Fowler, mm-hmm. Ricky was really like a fulcrum guy, right? Like if Ricky had gone to live, I think it might've been um, a, a, a very serious blow to the tour because he remains one of the top three most marketable uh, faces of the tour, notwithstanding his performance on, on the golf course. And it was a real challenge for Ricky because of where he was career-wise. He wasn't having great success. He had a giant check staring him in the face. But I think Jordan and JT played an outsized role, and that's kind of one of the themes that also – it's not a lead item in, in the show, but there's an undercurrent where you can see – kind of how people were, were, were being influenced and their thinking was being affected over the course of, of the season by, you know, um, the leadership of, of the, the players. The players are really the, the, the true leaders that, that drove this outcome where we have, you know, this very cool scenario with the tour right mm-hmm. now. These elevated events, we're seeing the best guys play more often. Uh, we're at Riviera this week, which is in- incredible, but it comes through in, in the show because it's it's – it was all happening in real time while they're taping the show. I'm not surprised about the Fowler thing. Um, I know that, and like a lot of like casual fans of golf and like outside observers will think, "Oh, this is really how far you know a flat brim hat and some color gets you in golf." Is you know you can suck, but if you just stand out a little bit in this tour, you can be an individual. But he's always sort of felt like. Um, the gap between some of the older guys on tour and the younger guys, like he's a uh, dude's look up to him and guys connect yeah. with him in both of those age groups. A hundred percent true. And he is a tiny bit older than Jordan. That's what I mean. And, and JT, you're absolutely right about that. Um, and you know, his, you, nobody can, can take shots at, at his marketability. He's, he's no. been super smart all throughout his, his career orange played it right down the middle <laughs> he's like yeah. look at this orange. orange people went oh my god we're going crazy for it, it. Does, doesn't hurt that he's he's a good looking fella. yeah i know that's uh that's uh, the bigger piece of this that the rest of us wear orange we're like why do i look like an we, idiot why do yeah, i look, look stupid at, as hell <laughs> like, yeah, why, who's that big italian in orange <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly you try to pull it off it's not going to work for you it's uh, this is a secret is the the handsome guys can pull things off that the rest of us can't i know it's heartbreaking to learn okay Okay, so let's get to this then. How big do you think this can be for golf? Because I think that this is a a thing about expectations, so much of this, right, is the tennis one came and went and nobody knew. There's people going, did you know they made a tennis one? I'm like, I don't care. I I don't care. I don't care. I'm never going to watch it. I won't give it five seconds. I do not care. There's just absolutely no way. But, yeah, if this came off as just a purely PR-driven thing where guys are just sort of defending the PGA – I, I got to say, that's going to that's gonna crush me in some way because this does feel like a moment. Golf is so unrelatable, right? Like, this is what I say to people. It's like, who's your favorite golfer? How is this? The, how did you determine this? How does this become the relatable figure that you like? But here's an opportunity on a silver platter to showcase a little bit of personality, to create a little bit of rivalry, to get rid of the problem that was with golf for years before Liv, which was everybody loves everybody too much and there's way too much money. And so it's just like, oh, you guys all came down and stayed in the same house and hung out together the entire time. And then you were, we're supposed to believe that there's a real feud here. 
do we get that? Like, because the thing that I think made F1 is the feuding. The fact that the two drivers on the same team hate each other's guts and that they're competing each other. That dynamic is what made it. It's not the fast cars. It's not the engineering. It's not the sport. It's the hate. Do we get enough hate? Not, not in this series. So mm. I just want to manage expectations. What you get with this is a true authenticity, a genuine behind the scenes. The guys curse. The guys gamble. They gamble for a lot of money. Mm. The, the guys like have, that. you know, doubt, doubts about their games. The guys have, you know, families that they have to think about. They, there, there's, it's a, it's a true, authentic behind the scenes. Um, look at a series of guys, and, and it's really character-driven this season. Mm-hmm. JD, I think what you're describing is really the show for this coming season because they're out, they're out there right now. They're at every event. They're just in, in Phoenix. You know, the, the big Netflix cameras, the crew is out there, mm-hmm. and they're walking around, and they're capturing guys. I think, you know, they, they had to make an editorial decision with season one, and their instinct is to track the, the guys, let the guys, let the characters sort of show themselves, reveal themselves, and let people sort of, you know, uh, connect with, with the guys in the first place. And so there's a lot more of, you know, sort of the, the personal struggle. The Joel Damon mm-hmm. episode in particular, um, I really, I wouldn't say skip ahead to it, but when you get there, it's very, very uh emotionally satisfying. I'll, I'll sort of leave it at that. Okay. But, you know, you, you make these connections with these guys, and then we, you know, this, this coming season should be the one where what you're talking about with genuine rivalry, where the existential uh, crisis the tour was confronted with, they've, they've sort of uh, circled the wagons, they're ready for the fight, and I think we're going to get the fight in, in season two. Season one is about, here's who these, these dudes are, they're not just these walking stiffs um, who barely acknowledge the cameras in in the in their uh, sponsors' clothing. Yeah, because this is the thing. Uh, again, the reason why we got in the F1 series, I believe, anyways, is. And did you watch it? Did you watch the F1 on? I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't sat down and been all, all, right. all the way through everything. I, I admire it greatly. Yeah, the very but first. I haven't been a devotee. Yeah, yeah. The very first one is there's a driver named Daniel Ricardo, and he's driving for Red Bull. And then there's a young guy who's the next generation, the greatest guy, the very beginning of his career, who is now the best driver on earth, Max Verstappen. And he's essentially forcing him out of his position in the race car for one of the biggest teams. And that's what you're watching is like the drama unfold between these two guys and seeing the tension build up between the two of them, the way that they kind of have to interact with one another on a daily basis where it's a little bit of like a barb here. Um, but then, you know, some playing politics there. It's fun. It's like very succession, right? Like there's a succession element to this. And so that's what I do hope that golf can get to with the live tour stuff, because if they're going to have real success between these two, if they're going to build up these personalities and garner more interest in the game, I think it does that there is no better way than rivalries. This is the way that sports stories are told is stakes. Stakes is what makes sports. If there's no stake, nobody cares. It doesn't matter if it's just financial. We learn that through golf. We need to have personal stakes. And so building towards that, I think that's the only way we're going to get fans that are already going to watch this show, like you and I would have watched this no matter what. My friends who yeah. love golf are going to watch this no matter what. The only way they're going to start to get casual audience or this is going to matter to golf in some way that goes beyond adding a layer of you and I watching this, to get to that next tier is if they add that, is if they find a way to portray the stakes better. 
And, and I think this upcoming season, the one they're taping right yeah, now, is it. going to, to capture that. I'm, I'm very bullish on their ability. They recognize, again, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The majors this year are going to be unlike any majors in the oh, history of golf. Yeah. Because it really is Team PGA against, against Team Live. And even like, you know, there's stories right now, people are asking Tiger, how's it going to feel when you're sitting at the Tuesday champions dinner with some of these live dudes? Like, and, and Tiger has to be uh, mm-hmm. candid about it. He's like, well, it might be a little bit funny. Might be a little bit, you know, we're there to honor Scotty, but it's also, you know, some of these friendships that I ha- I've had have changed. So just think about that and multiply it by a hundred for each of these events and and you know your your point about stakes is is exactly right the stakes could not be any higher mm-hmm. in the majors and the the one thing that that live suffers from that ultimately to me will be fatal unless they change the model is what you know they play at nowhere places and they're not playing for anything other than money yeah. there's no legacy there's no history and nobody cares about who won you know the yeah whatever open in whatever BF Egypt. Um, no. I've had friends who try to pretend like they care, and I'm like, come on, don't be serious. No, don't no. You you, try you, to. I mean, you could gamble on it. That yeah, would be a reason to sure. care. But, then, but, but it's one of those things where you can't gamble on it because, guys, the, the players themselves don't care. <laughs> They're not taking it fully right. seriously, and so you're watching right. it and going, wait, I was not aware that you guys actually didn't give a crap to really try. Like, you'll show up, have, be horrible day one, and be like, yeah, you guys all know what this is. No, for Liv, actually, this is the mo- the only important thing is creating the rivalry, right? Again, the stakes, the hate 100%. between the two. What's the? Do they have access at Augusta, though? Because you mentioned the champions that are They're not obviously they, going to get cameras in there, but what's the Augusta? No. What's the Augusta access? It's an amazing feat that they pulled off. They wow. had access. Ooh. Yeah. There were, See, you know, this is, for all of the sort of um, uh, impression that Augusta makes on, on folks in terms of how sort of stayed and, um, you know, closed up they are, they're, they're remarkably progressive in understanding hmm. their brand and, and marketing. They're, they've always been at the forefront in terms of, you know, the access to the event. Their, their uh, uh, IT platform is by far the best in all of golf. As you know, you can follow their stuff the best. So they, they understood immediately the, um, the concept uh, of, of how to advance, you know, their own interest in the context of this show. They've given access, and, and, and it's good. I'm interested in that. That's good. I like that. Yeah. That's a yeah. good tidbit. Yeah. That's a good tidbit for me. Uh, okay. Well, first, uh, now all I can think of is, though, if if they don't pair Rory and Reed at the Masters this year, <laughs> that's the biggest screw-up in the history of sports. Like, I, I don't think anything will make me angrier than that. They're not going to do it. There's no way. They, then that's stupid. Just do it. Why wouldn't you do it? Like, you really need to capitulate. To, like, they're going to show up. They want to play in the tournament, and that's going to get... Can you imagine the theater of that? The, 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 the place where I think we might see that is the PGA. The PGA... See, the Masters likes to, to play it a little closer, right? They want, they want um, the best golfer of the week to, to <laughs> reveal himself. And so they don't want, you know, they, they don't create side stories. It's why Phil was politely disinvited from showing up last yeah. year. Um, <laughs> you know, even though he was, he was entitled by, by all qualification rights to, yeah. to be there, they, they quietly suggested that last year would be a good year for him to not come. 
um, they don't want side stories. They want the story to be about the golf, about the golf course, about the event. And that, so they're not, they're, they're not, inclination is to not do that. Lame. PGA, on the other hand, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. the PGA Championship, the PGA uh, uh, of America, you know, let, let, let's have at it. Let's, let's, uh, let's go for it. I feel like the waste management is leapfrogging the PGA in terms of what we care about. Well, I will say this. It definitely has leapfrogged the players. Uh-huh. Um, oh, that's not even, you know, it, yeah. I know. But the thing that, that we talked about, we taped the show um, this week, and, and the one thing we, we kind of uh, concluded, we, they don't need to designate that Phoenix Open and give it, you know, elevated purse and require guys to come. It's already all by itself. It's now like a, a, a bucket list, you know, um, worldwide sporting phenomena. Everybody now sort of has it, uh, at least, you know, in, in, in my circle of life, on the calendar is a thing to, to look forward to. We all want to watch it, and it's a, it's a tremendous show, and the guys want to play in it. It gives them the closest, you know, to, to like a, a genuine kind of uh, traditional sporting yeah. event um, that, that, that here in, in North America. And they love, a bunch of the guys like it. it. One of the fun things is, like, which guys don't like it? That's one of the things that we liked enjoyed watching this past weekend. I was really bummed out about Colin Morikawa sucking this past weekend. Yeah, I got to tell you, this is why I'll never get over this with Justin Thomas, him bitching and crying about the waste management, where he's like, it's too much. They got to settle down. I was like, I'll never, you'll never recover from this. Like, you'll never. What? Who thought this? How could you think that was a good idea to go public with that sentiment? He did shoot 66 on Sunday. Who I mean, cares? he did sneak, sneak in a top five. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? He already cried. Like, he's forever to me a crybaby. <laughs> it's like you got one chance. Every athlete on the planet has to deal with crazy, you know, atmosphere and circumstance. Yeah. And the very the one time a year you got to deal with it where it's beyond someone says, get in the hole, <laughs> and you have a full meltdown about it. It just, I'll never, I'll never, ever, ever let it go. It will shape me forever. It's like Patrick Reed, where it's like you cheat once, and you're a <laughs> forever you cry about waste management and you're a crybaby forever i don't care if he comes back and he's every year he goes i appreciate it now i've changed my mind i'm like nah you're a liar you, you cried <laughs> you cried and it's true okay so am i this will be the last one on the series am i over like where, where is this in terms of your actual belief that this can be really important to golf like where this because i don't think it is going to measure f1 i think it is going to be above the tennis series but do you think this actually does become a staple where people outside the world of golf start to take an interest in this because of the series? Um, no. It's hard to say. No, the reason it's hard no. to say is because, well, because this year is just like an introduction to the characters. Mm. It's a okay. whole season of like, here's who these dudes are. And a lot of it is golf 101. So you and I, as, as golf nuts and golf nerds, it doesn't, it's like, you know, it, it feels wasted. Like, uh, but I want to sit with with my wife and see what her reaction to it is. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that yet. You know, I I'm, I'm, I hoarded all the streamers. I watched them all by myself. Uh, I love that. I, love know, that, I didn't though. invite anybody in. Yeah, that's um, great. That's the great. Darkroom. The initial watch. Yes, a hundred percent. No, you should just do it with you. I think then they have made a mistake. Then the producers of the show, like from what uh, what it sounds like you're saying, because to me the way this is being advertised is. It is way more about live versus PGA than it feels like you're saying it is. And and they, the way they're doing it, like when I get that quote about Rory where it says all in, it's like, no offense, but I don't really care about Rory being all in where he's describing, you know, the, the ways that he tries to improve his short game. I care if he's out there 
saying the things about Patrick Reed, right? Like that, yeah. that he did at the podium where he looked astonished by what has got to be the world's worst question at a podium uh, when that guy said, as anybody would, turn their back to you yep. or be offended. And Rory looked completely befuddled, had no way of even answering it. That's, that's an all-time moment for me. That's like an all-time Great. golf moment. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think they've done a, they've, they've oversold it then because I think they've been trying to sell it publicly as drama show. I think they're going to get there. Okay. I, 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 I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to give them a chance, but I'm a glass half full kind of guy, JD. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still think that the Raptors can win 46 games this season. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk to you about that as well. And maybe this is a good pivot point. The only, the only thing is I need to tell you, are you aware that your Washington commanders are interviewing Eric B tomorrow for their offensive coordinator job? I am aware of it. Uh, I have, I have mixed feelings. I mean, if he's going to be the next head coach of the Washington football team, that's fine. I don't use that C word. They're the C words as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. That's as far as I'm willing to go. Tough it's, name. it's a disaster of a name. I know. Uh, it has nothing to do with the Washington, D.C. area or the tradition here. I know. So that owner and that name, they can go F each other. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, the enemy would be an incredible hire, and it would have to be – he, ha- he would have to have a perspective on who the new owners might be or what those groups mm-hmm. might look like. And he would also have to have a perspective on how quickly he might become a head, a head coach here. Those would be the reasons that, that the job might be alluring to him. But, it, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. The hard thing being a Washington fan is rooting for the team, rooting for the guys. They're good mm-hmm. guys. They're, you know, they all play their, their butts off this past season. Uh, and and on the other hand, everything about the organization is is so vetted, oh, so stinky, so yeah. awful. Uh, it's a real tough position to be in. Like, how You're do you get a new owner? Though? Not the team. You're gonna get a new owner, and it'll be. Uh, man, I'm I'm concerned. I'm telling you, you I'm are. Right? Yeah, it really does yeah. feel like he's dragging his feet. This off season could not have been worse for you, though. They were like, "Hey, Schneider's not leaving," despite hit piece number eight thousand on you know right. what this guy has done yeah. behind the scenes. We're naming the team that was for a second kind of cool. Just named the Washington Football Team. It had a like a. I just love the football team. Great should, name. I know. Keep it. Why they decided Great to abandon name. it was outrageous. And then they went, "Hey, we've got real." momentum with this defense and with the way that this team is being built. And then they went out and got the number one clubhouse cancer in the NFL who can't play and decided to give up a real asset to acquire him and all the money that he got. It was just, boy, that was, uh, yeah, that was quite the off season for them. Okay. You mentioned though, too, that your team name has nothing to do with the area. I can relate to this as the Raptors, uh, a fan of the Raptors, yeah, Jurassic Park came out, and then they named the team after the dinosaurs, and we've never been able to abandon it. And apparently they were going to change it when they thought the team was going to be dreadful. And then Masai Ujiri yeah. came here, they went on a run, and the We the North became such a powerful branding thing up here that they couldn't end up actually changing the name. So we're stuck with the horrible dinosaur name forever. Like, that is, in a league where every team has some, you know, local connection with the, the basketball team name, the Raptors are just oh. remain... Yeah, except for you guys. Oh, oh, oh yeah. contraire, my yeah, friend. I know. Don't, 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 what's the wizard? Well, what, W. <laughs> you guys. Yeah. yeah you guys okay, get the yeah. W. Sure. Yeah, no, no I right. know. You guys are the other one. I forgot. You're the horrible wizard. <laughs> yeah. It's just, but for most teams, most teams, even if they're most relocated. Teams. 
most Fair teams enough. have a cool name where you go, this is why this is that they're called this. I actually remember learning about uh, like American geography as a kid through knowing where the NBA teams were with my dad and like finding out why the team was named this. And yes, the Wizards. Pretty good. The Wizards did not. Yeah, it was a good. It was actually like a super helpful exercise, like for a kid yeah. when they're I mean, engaged in sports. Lakers and and Jazz don't help you any. No, but they did because now I know their history. Soup, but, but that's it. Yeah. But I knew the history, and I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm. That would have been the very first time in my life that I would have found out that you know New Orleans and Jazz were connected to each other. Like before that, okay. I would have had zero idea. I was probably eight years old when I learned these things. Yeah, because, right, like, yeah, right. Yeah. So because I was a SuperSonics fan, and so learning, ah. like, grew up in the West coast and was like hey this is it you're boeing you get the tour this is why and you go okay this was supersonic jet is this is why all the other places are named after the thing and some are not or you know they're not obvious and so it's good right. to end up learning anyway the raptors i feel like we've kind of entered your zone right now this was this is the first time that raptors fans have had a like, like, like they've been at a crisis point like this. The entire season was strip it down, trade pieces away. I felt like the Wizards were in the same spot. I thought you were going to trade Kuzma. I thought this was the time that maybe you're going to get off of Bradley Beal. And it feels like both these teams ended up doing, the Raptors did worse. They gave up their first round pick next year to pay Jakob Pertl $40 million or $60 million plus dollars this offseason. Um, yeah. I don't even really know. So what that's this- funny. Why would you say that's worse? Because I'm, I'm very curious about this. Well, I, I, you know, as a DC fan, I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Washington not doing anything is so par for the course. I mean, the, their, their single goal every year is just to make the play in. So we call mm-hmm. the GM here play in Tommy. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, Tommy Shepard is the GM of the Washington. So play in Tommy. Yeah, he, he's, he's right on brand. We're right there in that 9 10 spot, right? And just go in and, and, you know, let's compete for the play in. But Toronto had a need and it was a need that was like sort of glaring over the course of this whole season. It was very curious to me that they came out this season um, just trying to run back the same version of, of last year's team that was, that exceeded expectations and, you know, was really competitive in the East. And then the guys are like, God, it's too much effort to play this kind of defense. We're just not big enough. We don't have any rim protection. We have to run, run our asses off. All game long, we have to crash the offensive boards. That's the recipe for success. It looked like it just got a little – everybody got a little tired of it all, all at once. And and Pirtle, like the six blocks last night, is not no. an accident. That no, he's good at played, it. He's a rim protector. So it's transformative potentially. And, and what it could, you know, do in terms of relieving pressure defensively, like that was the single biggest thing of this Toronto team. How did they all, all of a sudden suck at defense? That was the calling card last year. But I'm interested in your take. So there's a couple things. And and I hate being in this position because, and I mentioned it earlier as a Seahawks fan, it there's a there's a correlation between the two this year where I expected a tank and I expected to be bad and you prepare yourself for that. And then you start to be kind of good, but you know you're not good enough to win. And you say, well, yeah. what is this going to get you ultimately? Like, where where is this going to take you? And exactly with the Seahawks, it was great. They made the playoffs. And they lost to Brock Purdy, and now Niners fans have a feather in their cap, and Seattle, you know, their draft picks in the 20s. Hooray, you know? That sucks. There's no, there's no real but joy all the, in it. All that, but all of that draft capital from, from the Broncos counts for something. That, and that is having it. Russell Wilson counts no, for something. That, that's why the season was great. Oh, li- listen, it's yeah. that, watching the Russell Wilson Broncos disaster was... <laughs> 
I would say that in my greatest, it's it's in the like top five things and as a sports fan that's ever happened to me. Yeah. And I watch Canada win an Olympic gold in hockey here. I watched the Seahawks win a Super Bowl. You know, I've w- I watched the Raptors win a championship. It might be number four on the Mount Rushmore. Like, it's on that list. Yeah, Amazing. I, I love Verified it so. Air. Oh, I love it so much. Him going from like Broncos You're such country, a hater, JD. dude. Him going from Broncos country. Let's ride all off season, and everyone talking about how great he was and what a good teammate he was, and everyone in Seattle going, hmm, we're not really sure. To go- watching him completely fail, melt down there, not be able to complete a pass, have his teammates hate his guts, yell at him publicly, and then find out that like he's also a charity fraud where. Like he's uh, not giving as much money to charity as he like always claimed oh. that he was. It was very sweet. Like it was a very, very sweet season for us. But in regards to the Raptors, this is the problem. The team doesn't play well together. They don't fit. And they've now got three contracts this offseason. Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet, and Jakob Pertl, where all those guys want the bag. None of them are looking yeah. for like, oh, we kind of want to hang out here. Everybody knows that they can't keep all those guys. So they've got to make some kind of a hard decision during the offseason to move off of some of these players. And they could have just done it where they reset at this deadline, where they said, okay, the market is the market. We've got to make sure, okay, you bring in a Pirtle, fine. Then you've got to deal OG Ananobi at his highest price point, which was rumored three first-round picks from multiple places, including Indiana. And, yeah, maybe some of those picks were other teams' picks and they were higher ones or lower ones or whatever, however we describe that. They're just in the worst spot, which is a team with bad chemistry, not enough, you know, offensive creation, a player who's too far away from joining the like actual hard cast, of the players and Scotty Barnes from like being a consistent star for the team. They're, they're a team that's stuck in two streams of we want to be the draft and developing team, but now we don't have all these picks. We're trying to build around Scotty Barnes, but our team isn't particularly that young, a general manager and a president who continue to call the team young. No picks in the future, not a lot of flexibility to improve a destination that NBA players do not want to come. Like, literally house the best free agent signing the Raptors have had of a player that was playing in North America. You want to guess who it is? I can't. It's Bismack Biombo. Okay. <laughs> okay? That's how much guys want to come here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like guys right. don't want to be here. There's no way of improving the team that way. So it's like they're capped out. They're not going to go on a luxury tax. They've got these pending contracts. They're 10th in the East or ninth in the East or whatever. They're going to get into a play-in game. There's no scenario that Jakob Pertl changes it. Like, wow, the Toronto Raptors have upset the Milwaukee Bucks in a seven-game series because Jakob Pertl completely shut down the Greek freak. Like, yeah, it was a need. It just felt like they got way too horny for it, and they overreacted at the deadline and then just didn't do anything else. And now, again, they're kind of with the Wizards in the – who is it that we actually are moving forward here? The only good thing is, like, you have Zinger, and, you know, there's a couple Latvian guys on the show, so we, like, pull for the, the big man. You know, there's, like, a, <laughs> well, a, a I, Latvian I will, contingent. I will, yeah, I, I will say this. Uh, this season was turned a little bit upside down because the, the, the trade market um, went awry, and that was all the effing Minnesota Timberwolves. The Minnesota Timberwolves rewrote the, the, the market by what they did and acquiring Gobert. And so the challenge that teams that were in this position of like Washington and Toronto and maybe like the Pacers is, you know, there's, there's 25, 28 games left in the season. And maybe we can get a free look at how other teams value, what the price might be for some of our assets. What's the difference between trying to grab a guy right now? Like if they traded OG now, what, what, would they really have come out much further ahead than trading him in this offseason? 
when you have like the, the you know everybody is a is a buyer come off season in in the trade uh, deadline market it's it's only like a handful of teams so maybe the market isn't reflective so if you're trying to be generous to Masai he got a free look at, at what the, the he might um, fetch in, in return for some of those guys and he has that information is more important than anything that they could do in terms of acquiring anybody or changing course of direction. Here's the problem. Right now though. they, they would have like they're the, the pick this year, the draft this year has two guys who are generational talents. And when, when you're a city like Toronto or you're an organization like Washington, and this is why it sucks that yeah. you guys kept your pieces that matters more yep. than anything. That is so unbelievably important to you. You're not the Lakers. You're not the Miami Heat. You're not signing somebody someday. No one's ever going to force their hand to go play for you. You don't already have a superstar that guys are saying, yeah, oh, we have a Devin Booker on our team, so Kevin Durant will want to come play here. It's fine. You need to make sure you get every percentage point better at a shot at those guys. And by keeping the OGs and bringing in the Pirtles of the world or by, you know, keeping the Porzingises and deluding yourself into not trading, you know, the Kyle Kuzmas, you are going to win basketball games because the other teams are heading in the other direction. And now all of a sudden, like, you're just completely out of the Wembenyama stuff. And it just, boy, it's going to be hard as a Raptors fan to watch that guy play, you know, for wherever he lands. Let's say he's an Orlando Magic player. I don't know. Uh, and him just, you know, kicking your ass for the next 15 years and saying, oh, there was actually, you know, that they could have tried to get him. <laughs> it's not a guarantee, but it's better than losing to the Bucks in round two. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a tough road for Toronto because that team won 46 games last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, it isn't really built built to tank. And it would have been a tough a tough sell. Washington makes, makes a lot more sense for I a know. potential tank. But the, the dumb owner and the dumb GM <sighs> think that, that their goal was to play for the, the 10 seed every year. Kyle so that, Kuzma's contract I mean, extension? I'm, oh, my God. Are you going to hate that? Like, that is going to be – you thought you hated the Bradley Beal extension? Wait till. Kyle Kuzma reminds you with all of his horrible outfit choices every night when he's in the coming into the arena of just how he doesn't care about the Wizards and then a year from now demands a trade and you get 10 cents on the dollar for him. That's going to be a fun experience well, that, for you. That, that's right. I mean, you know, the, the funniest thing will be if he decides to go somewhere else, if he decides to take less money to go somewhere else and they get nothing for him. Because oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's staring them right in the face. I yeah. mean, and they, they understand it. Uh, and he's he's very smart, you know. Having played, the, the, spent the time that he spent with LeBron, mm-hmm. he understands how to play the business side of things a little bit. He's saying all the right things, but I don't think it's better than than fifty fifty that he stays here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Washington would be hoping for a signing trade. When Kyrie announced that he wanted to be traded, I immediately offered up Bradley Beal. Yeah. I, I, I went on every uh, broadcast I could and said. Bradley Beal's available. Please take yeah. him, Brooklyn. You yeah. can have him right now. Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant can compete. In the East, let that let that be a thing. Nobody listened to me. That's uh, unfortunate. But yeah, situation normal. The uh, Raptors have a 475 winning percentage. The Wizards 474. It's a uh, dead heat for us <laughs> headed down the street. Donnie Brook. Yeah, it's going to be great. I will say this. I, I think Toronto has legit chance to compete for the five or six. So and I, I think it, it's an interesting chat. Like, they can't beat. Uh, Boston or Milwaukee, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, Cleveland and Philly, they're, they're gettable. They're those two teams, you know, Philly always, uh, has, has doc, uh, rivers holding them, yep. them back. And Cleveland just needs more reps. I mean, Cleveland's not there. Cleveland's formidable. They just need more playoff reps, right? They were only, all they were last year was in the play. in. They haven't really like 
been in the in the grind of a, of a genuine playoff series with this assembly of players. Um, Toronto, this, this group has. So I, I, you know, if Toronto gets up there. They're not. I don't think they're going to jump over the Heat, but they might catch uh, Brooklyn. You yeah, know, Brooklyn's um, fall. and that would put them. That would put them in, in, in an interesting position playoff wise. I think the Knicks having a four game lead on them at this point in the year, it's going to be hard to leapfrog them to get out of the play in because I think it's going to be Miami and New York that sit in those two spots. And so yeah. it's going to be five, six, those teams. I do think Toronto is going to end up probably seven. That's the weird thing yeah. is I do feel like they're able to beat one of those two teams in a series, but they're one of those teams that you look at and go, yeah, you could win a series against a good team. You could not win a championship. And in a weird way, it's like, that's the worst. That's the worst thing. I hate that team. I hate that yeah. idea. Um, I so, know. so it's like, hooray, I'd love to be Joel Embiid in the Sixers. It would feel so great to embarrass James Harden in a playoff series and have that whole thing spark. And people talk about the Raptors being tough, but yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know I, this again. It's the first time where I've been really unclear as to what is the direction, what is the ceiling and how do they make that next step? Um, yeah, but better than the wizards. So thanks for that reminder. Uh, two bad teams, <laughs> two horrible teams. You're- yeah, you'd rather least. have Masai or Tommy right. Shepard. How yeah, about that? that's like, it. You know, those unknowns you just described, like those were unknowns that, that at least they're in the hands of Masai Ujiri. Uh, House, thanks as always for making time for the show, man. Appreciate it. And get healthy. AD, you call, I answer. I love it, buddy. Anytime. See you, pal. Uh, Joe House, the, the Ringers, Fairway Rolling Podcast. Um, that's the thing. You can always, this this doesn't make you rich is seeing someone else be poorer than you, okay? (laughs) And this is the thing sports fans love to do. They go, well, I'm poorer. I have less. It doesn't matter. I don't want to be, I I, I don't want to just be better than the Wizards. And that's where the Raptors are at right now. They're the nine seed and the Wizards. Just better than the Wizards, yeah. That's what I mean. And so, yeah, (laughs) guess what? The Raptors are probably going to go on a bit of a run here. I still think they will. I think people are, again, overestimating it a little bit. And I did that as well, where I looked at it and said, why can't they be that, you know, five seed, six seed? I just think that the Heat and the Knicks, both at 32 wins when the Raptors are at 28. Raptors have won two straight, but again, they beat the Pistons by a point. And that magic game was close the entire way through, even if the score was not reflective of it. Toronto pulled away at the end, and they, they changed what was actually a pretty competitive game. I'm not convinced that even with Pirtle, <laughs> which is like one of the funniest things about this, people went, they had a need and they plugged this. It's like, yeah, that's one of the needs. They also cannot shoot. They also don't have distributors. They also have a pretty sticky offense. They also have a defensive style that has not really worked out with their personnel this season. They also have a coach who has rubbed people the wrong way. Like they, they have a young play. They have a hierarchy problem where you're not really sure how the guys fall in line at any given time. Why, why were the Raptors so special in the 2019 run? The hierarchy was clear. It all ran through Kawhi. The best clutch player on the team is Scotty Barnes. There are nights where he gets the rock and it's not Siakam at the end of games closing the sucker out. It's okay. You can have two guys that sort of share that role, but usually they have to be like similar age. I don't think that Siakam feels like, oh, I should be sharing with him. You think Fred views himself as lower in the pecking order than Scotty Barnes? Hmm. You think Fred, again, the other part of this is you need buy-in in sports. And do you, are you sure you're going to have buy-in when you have three guys who are playing for their next contract like today? And also, well, Pernal, I'm not including him. I'm including OG. Like OG and Anobi playing for his next contract, Fred and Gary. All of those guys are not bought into the long-term future. Are you going to get them to play team ball? I'm not really convinced. So 
yeah, there's, of course, there's a formula on paper based on what we've seen with the Raptors to beat a Cavs team in the playoff round, somehow sneak in, beat, you know, they could, of course, beat the Knicks. They could beat the, any of these teams. They get into a play-in, what would it be today? It would be them and the Knicks, right? That's how it works? 7-9 or is it 9-10? I can't remember how the play-in works. I don't have it in front of me, but could they beat any of those teams in a playoff series or a little set? Knicks, Hawks, Wizards? Uh, yeah, Bulls, you can include them in there. I weirdly think the Pacers would give them kind of like the toughest time and they're not even in the playoff picture right now. It would be like the Knicks. I still think the Knicks would, it would be Knicks Raptors are the two best teams that are in that class. Knicks would give them the toughest time. Jalen Brunson in that playoff series, that's tough out. Um, so I think seven plays eight and nine plays 10. Am I looking at that correctly? We went really long with house. We're going to miss out on the last break of the show. I brought you guys in here. Well, would you, sorry, say it again. I think seven plays eight and nine plays 10, but I might be misreading this sheet here. No, I think that might be right. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think that's right. That's why I wasn't sure about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Raptors would beat the Wizards. Raptors would beat the Bulls. All that stuff goes down. I just, mm. yeah, great. Then you're the eight seed and you play the Celtics in round one. <laughs> like, I love it. It's like, could you beat? The Cavs, yeah, you got to climb up to five to play them, okay? It's a, it's a not, that's not happening this year with the Heat and the Knicks ahead of them. Probably not anyways. All right, quick break. Let's hit what we missed because Austin's my ear. Distracting me. You know, he's being all present now. That's his new thing, being present. Quick break. Come back. Sportsnet 590. All right, quick what we missed. Let's go. Well, JD, uh, some NFL Twitter drama yesterday. Yeah, that was really good. Valentine's good Day. Yeah. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster posted a Valentine of James Bradbury. Yeah. I'll hold you when it matters most. Yeah. And uh, the NFL responded on Twitter. Not the NFL, but like the people in the NFL. And uh, A.J. Brown responding, calling him out. And AJ Brown. Yeah, called him uh, TikTok boy. Which I love. Stood up for his teammates. <laughs> I'm going to start calling you TikTok boy on my <laughs> show. You are TikTok boy. Um, so there's a few things that I love about this. I just said it with House. Guys having hatred for each other, that's, that makes stakes. That makes stories. Um, it's one of the hockey's biggest problems. Guys used to hate each other. We used to have Red Wings avalanche um, when I was growing up, and you could not wait to see those games. Now there is nothing. There's nothing. There's just Jacob Truba plays. And you mm-hmm. go, ooh, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Maybe he'll hit someone. That's it. That's who people hate, and that's who they'll talk trash about. Him. That's it. That's the only player that the league will like weigh in, give an opinion on. Um, it's a sport where there's supposed to be hate, and there's supposed to be nastiness and meanness, and guys won't do it, and they're too chicken. Um, and so, yeah, the hockey's kind of ruined until guys start to hate each other again. It's a spot that golf was in. It's why I really need fairway, or sorry, um, full swing to start to amp up that hate because that is what people want to be interested in stakes. Money is not enough. Nobody cares how much money's on the line in a golf tournament. They care if there's a personal rivalry between two of the guys and you want to know the history and the dirt between the two of them. Um, With football, this is so great. This is so awesome that Juju Smith Schuster is like a polarizing guy and other guys took shots at him and Micah Parsons took a Mm -hmm. shot and AJ Brown took a shot. Now, the next time you want to see it, you want more. It's why we care about Eli Apple. Do you think that anybody cares about Eli Apple's game? No. <laughs> but why is he important to the NFL? Because guys want to roast him and guys want to play him. And if he has a big moment, you know you're going to hear about it. You know you're going to get Cancun one, two, three. You know, mm-hmm. that's why Patrick Beverly matters. Anyway, so yes, uh, I loved guys taking shots at him. I love that he tried to do that. But also, I appreciate that even though 
those guys are younger, like Micah Parsons is younger and AJ Brown is younger, that they still call him TikTok boy. I'm like, nice. <laughs> that is a good one. That it's is, tough to recover no, from. I'm just glad that that's still an insult, you yeah. know? Like, because yeah, yeah. it's, it, it's like we're, we're verging on the point where someone's like, TikTok boy, and they're like, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> like, Pete was stoked about that. All right, quick, one more. Uh, Elon Musk deleted a Go oh, yeah. Eagles tweet after they uh, lost the Super Bowl. Now, you know, reports are coming out about why this was, but I know you have some takes on deleting tweets. So, um, yeah, uh, I would say this. Uh, I don't know what the reports are in terms of why he deleted Go Eagles after a lot, whatever. Um, I fully endorse deleting tweets. I think here's, here's the actual thing though. I think if you do like a, a real take, right? Like if you do a take and it pops off and it's really wrong, you should leave it up because the worst is like showing to the world that you actually care. Mm. But if you put out a tweet that just sucks and it doesn't hit and it's just kind of sitting there and you go, ah, you know what? I actually could have worded this better or this didn't really resonate with what I thought, delete it. What, why does it need to live there forever? Your crappy thought, your, <laughs> your thought that you thought was better in the moment. You tried to fire off, you tried to get off quickly, and then it didn't hit. I, I'm fully an endorser of that. I think, I think we should all delete our tweets more. We should go through every once in a while and like clean out the clutter. every it's Like spring know. cleaning just yeah, for your feed? Yeah, a little bit like, like clean up the feed a little bit. It's not bad. It's like, hey, what if somebody visits? Is this what you want them to see? Your dirty <laughs> socks in the hallway? No, clean that up. Put that away. Anyway, subscribe to the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And again, appreciate all the kind words and all the people that reached out from uh, yesterday's episode with Bourne. Please share. Please uh, write a review on iTunes or on Spotify. See you tomorrow.